0: Welcome to In the Midst, a podcast where we make room to sit in the midst of grief with others. I'm your host, Alyssa, and I am joined today by Dr. Morgan. Welcome.
1: Thank you. It's wonderful to be here with you.
0: (laughs) Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: A little bit about myself. So I am the Associate Professor of Theology here at Indiana Wesleyan. I came here in 2016, which means I'm finishing up my sixth year and i have a lovely wife we've been married for almost 17 years i think yeah that's 17 awesome. years and have two kids Caleb and Phoebe who are in elementary school
0: that's great um so i met dr morgan in my undergraduate degree i took theology 1 with you and um it was best class ever best class ever it was actually like some of the most pivotal like material but also just fun because i got to get some sarcasm out and i never got that you like gave sarcasm right back so it was it was fantastic yeah it was fun it was good Mm -hmm. i think you made fun of me more than i made fun of you
1: probably Yeah, yeah
0: totally fine and then we went into covid year during was that theology two? Yes, I don't know. And Dr. Morgan recorded all of his classes beforehand. And um, after we had
1: gone into lockdowns, of course. Yeah.
0: yeah. And what is it that you said to me? You recorded it and then you put it on for the next week and you called me out in the middle of class.
1: Yeah, I was pretending that I was actually in front of you. And mm-hmm. sometimes yep. I would have to call you out, like, Alyssa, pay attention, put your phone away, something like that. Yeah. And so I just thought, I'm going to try to make this as normal for people right you now did. in this weird time as, as possible. So I said, Alyssa, pay attention, put Get that phone away, phone. <laughs> something, something like that. Yeah. And at the
0: time when I was watching the lecture, I was in the middle of Macan, and I was actually taking notes when you said that. And I had to go back because I was like, there's no way that he pre-recorded <laughs> calling me out. <laughs> It was so good. Um, well, like he, uh, Dr. Morgan said, he teaches theology at IWU. And um, as a Christian, I believe that theology informs um, my experiences in this world and um, has helped me over the years better understand the suffering and loss that I have walked through. Um, and so I've asked him to come on today just to answer some questions um, and give us some insight into where God is in the midst of suffering. Um, So, very first question, um, what is your earliest memory of loss or just a loss that you've experienced in your life that was really impactful?
1: Yeah, actually, probably the first loss was, this is going to sound silly, but I was, what, fourth grade, I think, and I lost uh, our beloved family pet. And so, you know, that's not something that's super tragic and that happens when you have animals. But at the time... It was pretty profound. Yeah, it was heartbreaking. <laughs> it was. Yeah, I still remember uh, feeling just absolutely despondent. It was a, a little beagle named Muffin. That we really, yeah, we <laughs> Poor Muffin. Poor Muffin got hit by a car when we were oh, at school. No. I didn't see it, but when my brother and I came off the bus, went into the house and my dad said, Guys, I have bad news and then told us what happened and, you know, tears and tears and it, it took me some time to get over that. Yeah. But you know, so that sounds trite, but when you're nine to lose a family pet at the time was grief for me. Now, now since then, of course, I've lost much more um, significant relationships, grandparents, and others. Um, but that's when I think about my first experience with real grief. It, it was as a nine-year-old kid losing my dog.
0: Yeah, I would be devastated, and at twenty-three years old, if my dog passed away, it would be mm-hmm. really terrible. Um. So one of the questions that first came to mind when I was thinking about interviewing you and just kind of picking your brain on the subject was you have a lot of experience, like you said, teaching and teaching theology. And I know that I am not the first student who has come to you with questions after losing people. Um, And so in those conversations, I'm just curious to know um, what are some misconceptions people have about God and suffering? that you've observed over the years. Yeah.
1: Well, first of all, this is one of the hardest areas of theology. Um, It's called theodicy, and that is how do we account for suffering in the world, especially people who are innocent, in the face of a God who we claim to be all-powerful, good, and loving? In other words, if something terrible happens and we suffer, we ask, well, if God is powerful enough, why did not he stop it? Maybe he's loving, but not all-powerful. Others say, well, maybe he is powerful, but it's not all-loving. So it's not that he couldn't have stopped it. He just doesn't want to. And so, you know, you, you, you deal with some of these difficult questions that people bring to you. I think some of the more uh, common misconceptions, there's at least two, and I think they're both in extreme. So one of them is, you know, God made this happen. God is punishing me. I'm suffering, and God, for whatever reason, is angry. God is trying to judge me, whatever else. And that's not always a good way to think at all. The reality is we're not told in Scripture all the time why bad things happen to us. Right. There are times when God does send punishment and judgment. We see that uh, particularly with Israel. They failed to walk in the covenant, and God allowed them to suffer. But ultimately, the suffering that God inflicts is always for our redemption. It's to, it's to bring back to restoration of relationship. So there's hope in the kinds of suffering that God may send upon us for our corrective good and for, for justice. Um, but we're also told in Scripture that sometimes bad things happen because thus is the world. Because since sin and death and darkness came into the world, we live in the world where things get broken. And it's not because God caused it. It's not because God intended that. He allows for things to happen, and one of the reasons for our hope in the eschaton when Jesus comes is that we won't live in a world that's pervaded by darkness and yeah. demonic forces that in God's providence has allowed to to roam to some degree. Um, so So, yeah, I think sometimes people assume that every time they suffer, it's because God is trying to punish them. Maybe they've done something wrong. But I would say that the other opposite end of the spectrum is that God almost suffers with us, Hmm. that God is as afflicted as we are. Yeah, that's good. And the problem there is that that denies the classic doctrine of God's impassibility, where we sometimes diminish God to our level, where the things that um, cause us to suffer and the weaknesses that we have and the the ways in which we are opened up to harm are somehow imposed onto who God is. When in reality, of course, God is in a completely different category than we are. Exactly. God can't be caught off guard. God can't be damaged like we're damaged. God cannot be injured in the ways that we're injured. Um, his God's affections are completely um, on a different plane than ours are. So, to say that all suffering is from the from God, He wants to do this, and the the other opposite extreme that says suffering just sort of happens, and then God is afflicted like I am, are right. both areas we want to avoid.
0: Right, and that's such a good one to bring up because um, it's easy to misunderstand God suffering with us, like mm. suffering too, um, with believing that he sits with us in our suffering. Like those mm. are two different things. And to believe that he suffers too, I think is different than to believe that he sits with me while I suffer.
1: Yeah, it's kind of the difference between sympathy and empathy. And right. so the empathy is like co-suffering, so God doesn't co-suffer with us, but he does sympathize with us. Right. Um, and I think the best picture we have of that is Christ, who came and took on human nature, and he did suffer in the flesh. Mm-hmm. And he knows what it's like. But but now, as we suffer, God doesn't suffer again the same things and the same perils that we suffer, but he knows how to be with us in the suffering, even though he himself is not feeling like exactly like we are.
0: Yeah. This all reminds me of a couple weekends ago. I don't know if you were at College West. Do you still go to College West? I do. Mm -hmm. Were you there when Steve gave that sermon about suffering and he used um, the walking on water and then the three Mm -hmm. in the fire?
1: Yes, I did. Yeah, I was there. It was a good message. It was Mm -hmm. so
0: good. And he talks about how we have this understanding, like, this belief that God is just going to stop our suffering. And in both of those stories, he walked into the fire and he didn't stop it. And he like entered the storm, but he didn't end it. Mm -hmm. And Steve said, if God is who we thought he was, he should have stopped the flames. Mm -hmm. Instead, he waited for the King to change his mind, but that's a whole different kind of power to be able to do that and allow that.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting that he didn't, in the fiery furnace, he didn't come down and stop the flames, but neither was he himself consumed by the flames. Right. And in the storm, he didn't stop the storm. He was with them in the storm, the disciples, Peter, um, but he himself wasn't somehow adversely impacted by the storm. Right. You know. So again, it's it's a both andness of God. But I I do yeah. like the the point that Pastor Steve was making that we, we we assume that if God is going to be the God of power and deliverance, that He's always going to stop the bad things from happening. But the kind of power God ex- exhibits is one that um, is an entering into, and He, you know, and He does free us in some ways. The uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were um, bound when they went into the furnace. Right. But when King Nebuchadnezzar saw them, they were no longer bound. They were walking around. So there was a freedom they had even within the furnace, yeah. as God was with them.
0: Yeah, and he and he he brought up that verse from Isaiah that talks about how he will strengthen and uphold mm-hmm. and he says he does all of that he strengthens and he upholds and he goes with without changing the situation and it, all of that and ne- they weren't consumed. Peter was not consumed when he was walking on the water and mm-hmm. he you know he did lose sight and he started to drown but he gained that focus back mm-hmm. and the three in the fire they were able yeah right. to be freed from mm-hmm. yeah. it's a whole different whole different look at the power of God and That's what right. that means for I mean, I was sitting there and thinking, wow, that means that means something different for me in this situation. Like sitting here in these losses, like to know that I'm not alone. And there's a certain f- sort of freedom and peace that can come with knowing that he right. sits with me in the middle. Very
1: good. Yes.
0: Um. So you have obviously experienced loss in your life. Mm-hmm. Um. Did you ever I mean, even as well studied as you are. And as steadfast as you have been from my observance in your faith, like what are some questions that you have had going through loss over the years? Just like things that you like, whether they maybe questions of doubt or understanding or whatever, like what are things that you found yourself asking of God?
1: Well, I think anybody, no matter how long you've been a Christian, when something disastrous happens, when a tragedy happens, that doesn't mean you don't ask God why. And sometimes you know, you don't just ask God why, but you ask God to do the miraculous and to change the circumstance, to change the situation. So this is a little bit different because it's not a, a loss. In fact, God ended up using this to be a, a wonderful testimony. But when we first moved here, um, within two months, um, my wife Christy was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so my first year here, she was going through chemotherapy. Um, right after she had just given birth yeah. uh, to Phoebe and of course Caleb was too. So it was a really, and having just moved and all the, all the the issues with transition, it was very difficult. And so, you know, it was like, God, you know, what's going on here? You know, we're, we're walking faithfully mm-hmm. in what you've given us. Uh, you've, you've called us to this place. Like this isn't supposed to hap, this isn't supposed to happen. Right. And so You know, you ask the question, you can ask the question like, well, Lord, why is this happening? And God doesn't oftentimes give you a satisfactory answer for the moment. Yeah, Like he spells out his entire purposes like, well, here's why that will make sense to you at some point. I'm doing this because of this and this and this and da-da-da-da. It's usually the assurance that he's there and enough comfort to take the next step, Mm. just enough light to illumine the path, to take right. that next step in, in in faith and obedience, and to trust whatever happens here, God is in control. Mm-hmm. And then something else. Again, I think that most people ask God, "Can you take this away? Can you just make it all better?" Yeah. And so I remember that um, before Christy had one of her her surgery to get her port in place so she could have chemo, mm-hmm. they were going to do another biopsy, kind of a follow up biopsy. And so I was thinking, wouldn't this be great if it was one of those stories where? <clears throat> initially, you know, you go in, and they find cancer, and they got to do something quickly because it's really serious, and then they do another test, and miraculously, it's gone, and the doctors don't know why, and we've right. heard those stories before, yeah. right? I've heard them, like a miraculous healing or, or something occurred, and so I remember praying for that that whole week before her second biopsy, really pleading before the Lord that it would be one of those stories, but I think deep down, I knew that it wasn't going to happen, and it's not because I doubted that God could make it happen, but I felt like, Whatever God's purposes were, I believe two things. One, this is going to be for our good, as hard as this is going to be, and it's going to be hard. But also, at the end of the day, I really believed, and God gave me some strip, a scripture early on to help me. I believed that she was going to be okay in the end. Yeah. Um, and you know, and while I I wanted that healing, I wanted that miraculous, ta-da, no no cancer, it's great. I was reminded of how Jesus in the garden prayed. Father, if this it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And of course, the cup didn't pass from him. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it wasn't unfruitful for Jesus to be praying that. And in his humanity, showing his dependence on the Father, and in his humanity, showing that his will ultimately is aligned with the will of God. And so I feel like me praying for something miraculous that God ended up not doing, it was still fruitful for me to bring my full request to God, to depend on Him, but ultimately align my will with where God wanted to take us, and so yeah, it was a time of real, real confusion, asking the questions, "Why, God? Can you do something about this?" Uh, but ultimately, we recognized over over a, a really difficult year that God ended up in so many ways using that for our good and for His glory.
0: And they asked God to take it, and He didn't. Mm-hmm and they are left with this anger or bitterness or lack of understanding, and it's really hard to believe the phrase that God is good or that he will work it for good. What would you say to somebody who's sitting in that place right now?
1: Yeah, that's very difficult. Um, It's probably not going to be something that's resolved immediately. Mm. So if you have gone through real difficulty, tragedy, loss, and heartache, first of all, I, I think it's okay to grieve. It's okay to lament. Yeah. The Bible is filled with prayers of lament. Yeah. God doesn't always deliver. I mean, the the fact that we have lament Psalms, the fact that we have a book of Lamentations, the fact that Jesus himself um, utters forth his cry there in the garden. Uh, And Jesus himself said, in the world you'll have trouble. But then he says, but be of good cheer, be confident I've overcome the world. So I would, I would most of the time tell people to, to be patient. You're probably, at this moment in your grief, when it's still raw, not going to somehow like see the big picture or recognize, oh, it makes sense after all why God allowed this to happen. But over time, I think more and more, we can see some of the purposes of God, at least a picture of them, however dimly, and recognize that whatever God's purposes are, they're good, and that God is good. And sometimes it's the way of from our perspective grief or tragedy that if we could see the grand scheme and the grand picture of how things could have turned out may sometimes be the better way than what we would have imagined
0: that's really good it is it's freeing because there's this allowance of being able to sit in the hard thing and not be rushed out of it and Mm. like i remember i think it was right after losing dad Um, The song Good Good Father was like super popular around that time and we would sing it in chapel and I just, I caught myself a couple times going silent when we got to the chorus because I couldn't sing those words. It just was not, it didn't feel good and he didn't feel good and it just was hard for me to sing them aloud. I was like, why am I going to say these words if I don't even believe them right now? And I felt like I had to rush out of that place because it felt I didn't feel super allowed to sit there I felt Mm. like I was a bad Christian I was a bad ministry major I was a bad whatever
1: or not quickly bouncing back and having this amazing faith. yeah you know no I I I understand that um and you know what I think it's those it's those kinds of feelings and that kind of pain that God wants us to bring to him Mm. so he knows that a particular song in chapel doesn't really resonate right now, given what we've gone through. But it's that very thing where we can say, okay, God, I don't really feel like singing this right now. But would you help me to somehow see what you see that I can't? Would you somehow help me to trust you anyway? And over time to just help me to heal? You know, I I, I think God wants us to be honest with him. Yeah, you know, I agree. And rather than just saying, well, I'm not going to talk to God right now, or I'm just going to shut down and not say anything to anybody, or I'm just going to pretend and put on a facade. Mm -hmm. Those are, I think those are bad alternatives.
0: And sometimes in all honesty, my honestness with God was, I'm like, this sucks. I'm hurt. Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. want to say that you're good because it doesn't feel good right now. Like sometimes it was yelling at him about Mm -hmm. my feelings in the situation.
1: Yeah. Well, I think of, you know, I think of the book of Job where Job got, pretty honest about his feelings. Now ultimately God comes and says, "Well, I've heard you, but now I want you to hear me." Mm-hmm. You know, and oftentimes when God shows up, he brings new revelations to us that we didn't understand or see before. That doesn't yeah. mean the pain's gone and the loss isn't real. Right. It is. Right. But there are things that God helps us see in time that we weren't considering when the pain was still very real and raw. Mm-hmm. And you know, I also think too about the again, the lament psalms I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Those are very honest Conversations with God, beautiful. You know, Why, O oh Lord, will you not? You know, it's time for you to act, O oh Lord, in very, very, very stirring emotions. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're not trying to put on some kind of a a plastic or pasty smile before God. Like things are great, even though they're not. They're like, no, Lord, these are. You know, I recognize you're still God, but what's going on? Yeah. Why is this happening? And. It's okay to pray those prayers, yeah. and I think that can actually draw us closer to God, and it's in those times of lament and pouring our hearts up before God that he can meet us, meet us in some very powerful and intimate ways.
0: Griffin and I, on his episode, when he was sharing his story, we talked about lament and how beautiful the process was and how learning— for me learning lament it gave it made room for my heavy questions and my emotions that felt really dark and really (coughs) big it gave me room to express those and the process always ended I mean in, in Lamentations and in in the Psalms, like Psalm 77 is the one that we referenced. It always ends with some sort of glorification of God. And it wasn't even, it, like in that Psalm, it's not even that David is getting answers to the questions that he's asked. Yep. And his affliction in that moment isn't really aided. But he still says, you know, to this I will appeal. And he remembers who, he, who God was before. So it didn't really fix you know, the emotions he had right then, it allowed room for them, and then it said, but, like, the nature of God is still this. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah, I love that. To this I will appeal. The years of the right hand of the most high. Yeah. You know, I'm going to remember what God has done. Yeah. And remember that it takes a certain kind of God to do those things. So even in my, my barrenness now, my loss now, that God still is here. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I, the most recent... um process of lament that I went through was last August when my uncle and our good friend Ben passed away within three days of each other, and that psalm almost immediately came to mind, and that process of Lamenting, I think I was in the that space for days of just feeling like I don't like, kind of like he, he writes like, I don't have any words. I am exhausted mm. and nothing like my soul is crying out. But at the same time, there's no, you can't hear a thing. And f- just feeling like the questions he asked were the questions that I was asking of God and they're big and they're scary. I mean, he asks if the Lord's love has failed. He asks yeah. if his afflictions, will, you know, last forever. Mm-hmm. Like, they're really, really heavy questions. And I, I don't think that we talk enough about how allowed that is mm-hmm. to be able to voice those things to God. And yeah. even to trusted mentors and friends mm-hmm. who are going to believe with us yeah. the things that we know of God from before the suffering mm-hmm. to be true still now. In
1: Absolutely. It. Yeah, I love that. I'm reminded, too, when you were talking there, something that mentioned Job earlier. I can't remember the exact reference, but he—I'm going to paraphrase him here. When when he was in the midst of his laments and suffering, he said, yeah. "You know, I—I I look to the north, I look to the fa- the south. I, I don't see God. I look to the east, to the west. I don't find him. But he knows the path I take. Yes, like yeah. I can't see God anywhere. Nothing—nothing nothing makes sense. But in the midst of it all, he knows where to find me. He knows where I am.
0: And after that, he says he he knows the way that I take." Mm -hmm. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I remember studying that passage and seeing, you know, that Joe believes that God sees him and knows exactly where he is and that God is doing something. When he has tried me, he believes that there is something more at work than just the heaviness that he feels. And then he says, and, and then I will, I shall come forth as gold. Mm -hmm. And to know that God still finds worth in Job, even amidst all of that. And the way that gold is refined, I mean, the temperature that gold is refined at is so incredibly high. And to feel like sometimes that's how the valley of death feels like. That's how Mm. walking through grief feels. It feels like you are being burned alive, Mm. like emotionally and mentally and physically. And it's exhausting, but to come out refined and purified and, in all of the losses that I've experienced to to come out, I think with more of the eyes that Jesus has for his people who are also experiencing that. Very good. Another, a a common phrase that we hear when people pass away within the church, I think is that we do not grieve like the rest of mankind who Mm. have no hope. And Mm. that actually comes from scripture. That's from first Thessalonians chapter four. Yeah. Um, And as I was pulling together, like, what does the Bible have to say about suffering and how does that inform how the church reacts and how we react? Um, this one kind of stood out to me, and I just want your opinion. What What is happening in this passage as Paul writes this? What's the context there? Um, and then I have some follow-up questions after that, but could you, like, unpack that passage?
1: Sure. Well, the context has to do with the the eschaton, the coming of the Lord, and there were some Christians apparently who were concerned that those who had already died would somehow miss like this glorious day of the Lord. And so Paul was talking about, right before that uh, that line, we don't grieve or mourn as those who have no hope. He's talking about those who have, quote, fallen asleep. And of yeah. course, in the Bible, oftentimes it doesn't mean literally napping. It means they've, they, they've died. And so Paul says, well they haven't missed it, because when Christ comes, they'll actually rise first. Like They'll be caught up first, and after afterwards, those of us who are alive right. will be caught up to meet the Lord. So what he's talking here is about the resurrection, the general resurrection yeah. in the end when Christ returns. And so if we recognize that those that we have loved dearly have died and have passed on, we do grieve. He doesn't say, don't grieve, right? don't mourn. No, he says, we don't grieve and mourn like those who have no hope. If you don't think there's anything after this life, if there is no such thing as resurrection, then you grieve differently mm-hmm. than people who believe that life will be reconstituted, that even this body that will lie on the ground someday, mm-hmm. God is going to raise up and glorify. Yeah. That is a completely different way to grieve. So we can miss our loved one, we're saddened perhaps at the circumstance, we you know, we think, you know what, life's going to be a lot different going forward without this dear person in my life that I've lost. And you you understand what that's like because you've lost people. But when we know that because of Christ defeating death in his own resurrection, he has paved the the way for our resurrection. Mm -hmm. So that person that I've lost is only temporarily lost. Right. That person will rise that person's flesh will be reconstituted and refashioned and glorified and and made anew, imperishable, immortal, as the same Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. So that's the reason Paul can say. Mm -hmm. It's not, don't mourn at all, you're stupid for doing so, you're you're faithless for doing so. It does not say that, but the way in which you mourn, the way in which you grieve is a lot different when you know that that person, loved by God, is going to rise again someday.
0: Right, and that's the That's the difference between hope informing suffering and hope exempting us from, Mm. because it doesn't. I mean, like, I have been a Christian my whole life. And until losing people, have I understood what a difference hope makes in my perspective? Because Mm. to grieve and not know who Christ is and not know the promise and the hope I have in heaven is why I think I observe other people who grieve and don't know that truth and feel so devastated Mm -hmm. because to them, death is the end.
1: It's totally final. It's permanent. And
0: that would be so terrifying. Yes. And I think it's really easy for someone who's listening who might think, Oh, well then, this idea of hope just kind of makes you feel better about your feelings. Like it would be really easy, I think to believe that. And for some, for some reason, I don't know if I can even really put my finger on it, but there's assurance and hope. Like I think losing people has redefined the word hope to me. I used to Mm. think that hope was this like, wishful thinking Mm. like I am hoping that we get to go to the beach this summer but like there's a chance that it might not yeah (laughs) and like for hope hope as a Christian is this anticipation of something that is to come Mm. and so there's an assurance in that and learning the difference it took losing people Mm -hmm. and digging into scripture and digging into what does the gospel mean For me, in this context, like Mm -hmm. it took redefining hope for me to appreciate the perspective that it gives to suffering.
1: Yeah, with Christian hope, there's no, but it might not work out. Right. I hope it does, but no, it's that eager anticipation of a reality that in the mind of God is just as real as us sitting here. Right. Yeah
0: because i think i i think if it was just a thought that made me feel better then it would be really easy to lose sight of it but the thing that has been steadfast it, in my grieving process has been that like that hope has never been unwavering it mm. has always been there yeah. and it's why when life felt really foggy because of losing people i wasn't completely blind because like hope persisted in that even even when i was in the midst of despair and just felt so, so heartbroken. Like hope was still there. It just was a little dim.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, very good.
0: And I, and I just think it's, it's important to understand the phrase because we use it so much Mm -hmm. in Christian circles. And, um, I think it's really easy to hear, don't grieve like everybody else who don't have hope. It's really easy to hear that and think, so then I just need to move through this quickly
1: Right. No. Yeah. You don't have to move through it quickly, but I guess what Paul helps us remember is that there is, there is an, there's a certain end in sight, and you know the those who don't have this faith and those who for whom death is final, all they can do is reach for memories to say, well, their memory lives on, or they create superstitions like, well. You know, they're smiling down on us from some ethereal place. I mean, and there's no basis for that in reality, of course. Um, But when when you're a Christian and when you know what Jesus has done and what Jesus has promised, then yes, weeping and grieving is a real thing. I mean, when you think about it, moments, seconds before Jesus raised Lazarus, he wept. Right. Now, I I don't think he was weeping so much just for Lazarus, right? But it was weeping at the fact of death as he was standing at a tomb of a loved one. And it says he looked around and he saw how everyone was broken and weeping for him. And it was just a picture of what sin has brought into the world. And I think there, Jesus, the eternal Logos and creator, just saw with his own eyes... Not that he needed to <laughs> learn something. I don't right. mean it that way. But he was standing in the midst of a brokenness that he never intended mm. in, in creation. Right. And I think he wept at that. But one moment later, he's bringing out restoration. Mm. You know, So I think that if we follow the pattern of Jesus, yeah, we can weep. We can weep that d- death isn't okay. Yeah. Death is the enemy. Death That's is the last so enemy. But Jesus has beaten it. Yeah. And so weep? but recognize that this is a foe that Christ has defeated and the one that I'm weeping for and 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 the context of the sadness is going to be overturned that it's not staying this way life is breaking into this
0: and that kind of goes back a bit for me to the thing we talked about in the beginning about the difference between god suffering and god being present That's with right. us in our suffering cuz i remember I I did a spiritual direction session with Judy last semester Mm -hmm. and in that we were going back on a memory and she asked me to just close my eyes and think um, and ask the spirit to reveal to me like where Jesus was in that moment. And thinking now about the weeping that I, I mean, there were nights my sophomore year where I was so overcome with emotion, with missing my dad Mm -hmm. and just experiencing like this because we lost him so suddenly and so Mm. it just was there was no time and then I went straight into a summer where I felt like I needed to be the rock for my family and so I didn't really start grieving him until four months later when I was coming back to college and had a support system and I remember showing up to my best friend's room and they were the only two awake and they just sat out with me and I wept I wailed I mean I made sounds that I didn't even know that I could make yeah. in such like anguish yeah. Yeah. and looking back on that memory and believing that like Jesus was, was there, he, he was present with me in that and, mm. and in the same kind of idea, like weeping because of the brokenness mm. that we're experiencing and walking through because we weren't created for that.
1: That's right. Absolutely.
0: As someone who you teach about suffering in your classes, um, and we've just talked about this passage that deals with how we get to grieve and suffer differently than others. um a lot of what we're talking about they're good things to be informed with as a pastor or mm-hmm. um a teacher or even maybe a friend. Good things to have in mind and to go and do your own study on um but a lot of it is words and a lot of it is lessons and a really big point of this podcast is to um kind of do the opposite of just throwing words at everything and so how could if someone were listening and taking this wisdom and wanting to apply it what are some practical ways that they can do that without rushing people through Mm. needing to sit in the really heavy things
1: well, yeah, that's a good question. Well, of course you can't apply this until something tragic happens.
0: Right. You know.
1: And you know for a lot of, you know, ministry students, m- many of you are, you know, young and maybe unlike you, Alyssa, not everyone has dealt with the same kind of grief and loss. So what what they'll find is that what becomes what, what's more theoretical now and theological comes to life in a new way when you yourself go through an actual time of grief and, and loss. Yeah. And so, and that's the way it's supposed to work. And so you're, you know, I've told, I tell students here, this is training ground. You, you, you are digging your reservoir, you're deepening mm-hmm. so that when you get out, you've got something to draw from. And so when you, when students go through these, you know, classes, we talk about this stuff, I I hope it's making their reservoir deeper. And then, <clears throat> and then when life happens to them, then they won't be empty. They'll have something to draw from. And then that's good. you do the same thing when you're working with somebody else in ministry. And whether or not you've experienced it for yourself, when you're with somebody else in their grief, you experience the reality of grief and the promises of God in a new way. You can't yeah. just talk about it like we are now. Right because we're drawing from our own experiences from the past and knowing that God's helped us, but we're not like right now necessarily talking in a pastoral way, like helping one another through something that we're really struggling with. But everyone who's going into ministry will be there.
0: Right. And there's no way if if I wasn't four years out of losing my dad and even like losing Ben and my uncle, like I mm-hmm. still haven't really fully processed that, but it would still be really difficult to do that right away. Like if I yeah. didn't have the time yeah. to have sat through it, it would yeah. be hard to have this conversation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think that going through the going through that process with somebody, remembering, Jesus wept, Jesus prayed, and he always, uh, in his humanity, was submissive to the divine will. Um, and so there's always this—it's a symbol of victory at the end. Remember not to rush people through, and to always, you know, point them to the promises of God, um, even though you can't expect them to immediately grab hold and say. Yes, it all makes perfect sense now. Yeah. Sometimes it's not even about reminding them of anything, it's just being that presence. Yeah. That's the not always the words of Christ, but the hands and feet of Christ with somebody. Like like your roommate, like your friends were that night when you sobbed, you know, they, right. you didn't need them to like tell you anything. No. Because you probably knew the things they would have told you, and sometimes our words ring hollow. You needed them to be the presence of Christ as Christ himself was present there. And to just cry. Yeah. And that is, uh, you know, a, a lot of powerful moments with God can come in those sitting in it with somebody else. Yeah. You know?
0: That's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I'm going to put you on the spot because I didn't include this in the email, but since you've been teaching for so long and walking with people, students who are asking so many questions about the theology of suffering. Do you have any good resources for people who might be listening and just wanting to understand that better?
1: Yes. So you mentioned, uh, Judy earlier. So Dr. Crossman, you know, Dr. Lakia Stewart, they're going to have good resources on how to counsel and walk through someone, uh, walk with someone through their suffering. Right. Um, my resources are more on the theology of suffering and impassibility Mm -hmm. So a great place to start, an uh, article I have a lot of students read, is called Undying Love. It's an article written by a theologian named J. Todd Billings in a periodical called First Things. He's a theologian, a professor, who was diagnosed with uh, a, a rare blood cancer and you know had a wife, two small children, and he writes about the process of laments and suffering and the why God is this happening while he's taking these treatments that wrecked his body. Right. Um quarantined in the hospital. Um wondering if his small children were going to have a father. Like not just lamenting his own loss and his own pain but lamenting his fa- like his family what they're going to face. Mm-hmm. Um people tried to comfort him by saying you know god sheds a tear with you or god suffers with you and he said that actually doesn't help me. What helps me is a god who is above my suffering who through Christ took on my suffering, defeated it, and when I am in Christ, it means that my suffering doesn't have the last word. Amen. It doesn't define me, yeah. right? And that I have a God who's not weak and vulnerable like I am. He sympathizes, he's with me, but he's risen above it, and that's the God that I need. And so he helps us understand that a good, that, that good relationship between um, a God who sympathizes with us and is with us and empowers us but doesn't, himself suffer with us because he himself has conquered our suffering so that's a good place to start undying love in first things by j todd billings
0: that's so good because i think even regardless of who you are in listening to this whether you're grieving or walking through grief with someone as a friend or a pastor it's good to understand i think the idea that he's writing about to Mm -hmm. better Walk with them and help them understand because they will have questions like about who God is and why this is happening and where God fits into their suffering. Mm. And this is a really powerful thought Mm. that can actually shift perspective and gain some stable ground in believing or being able to even do this process of lament to glorify God. I think to be able to understand that like our suffering and all of that has been defeated and how powerful that is, even in the midst of the waves of grief Mm -hmm. that continue to just wash over us. It's such a powerful thought. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I hope that this has been helpful for you and that you take the words of Dr. Morgan and more importantly, um, scripture and who we know God to be and, that that helps aid in the heaviness.
1: Amen.